So we mentioned last week that the the data migration stuff was done, meaning basically that stuff, new data was going to the to Rumpus instead of Uh Thought I had it all working yesterday. Discovered this morning that I'd been I'd been batch migrating the same fifty people's accounts uh, every minute for oh. twenty four hours. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 268 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm saturated. I'm Sam and I'm Eckhart. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is July 16th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show. So I suppose uh, children shouldn't be listening but they will. According Unless, to their parents. We think children should be listening. To get educated. Podcast. They're so slippery. You can't, you can't control them. Seth, that's gonna fish. Seth, that's fish that are slippery. I often get fish and children. Yeah, we don't, we don't have kids, so it's all, it's all very confusing. Well, they both go to school. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, no, they don't. Oh. <laughs> they should anyway. I was yeah, actually wanted to laugh on that one, but I felt like it would be better if I just was silent. So I just I just held it in. You guys stealing for my dramatic effect for you yourselves. Know? Yes. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscouch.net. We grabbed your money. Thanks for letting us That's do good. that. Uh, let's talk about life. I want to talk about squats. Namely, I can do them now. We got a squat rack. That's we, amazing. So I've been uh, I've been developing quarantine bod. Is that know, is that, that the the like Uncle Iroh in the jail the <laughs> Avatar right. getting jacked in no, prison sort I'm, of bod, uh, or is this like the turning into a gelatinous blob bod? This is Uncle Iroh before he went to prison. Oh, gotcha. Uh, uh, when he was running a tea shop, mm-hmm. kind of that phase. So you're getting tea <laughs> shop bod. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, because most of my exercise revolved around weightlifting, and of course, without uh, without weights, weightlifting becomes more challenging. It does. And so, mm-hmm. I so I've been somehow. doing <laughs> I've been doing what I would call less of it in <laughs> that true. in that I've done none of it for for two months. I've basically just been just at, basically just been at the computer. For two months. <laughs> have, you, have you been doing anything? Like any exercise at all? Uh, I did at first, but my, I mean, my, my exercise passion is lifting and right. I just, I just couldn't muster up the consistency to like, just at the end of every workday, just go do 100 squats w- with no weight on my back. We'll say it's it just is, so boring. Yeah, it's far less interesting because the challenge actually only comes after you've been bored for a long time. And then yeah, you're like, you have to, now I can't feel my legs and I have to do 10 more of these. That's very exciting. Yeah. I was like, I wanted to work my body, not my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, feel I, that. I don't need to, I don't need to power through the psychological barriers of, of like doing 85 pushups before I get to the five <laughs> that burn, you know, your lobes are strong uh, enough, you know, you need your yeah. glutes to be strong. So, lobes. so one of those things is so we we've been sort of slowly assembling essentially a CrossFit gym in our house. We got uh, a box jump box last week, which uh, it's like it's a box that's eight. It has three three different heights depending on how you orient it. It's gonna be eighteen inches, twenty inches, or twenty four inches. I will we say got, for some reason when you told me that about the boxes, I became very preoccupied in my mind trying to figure out. How that's possible? <laughs> Any way you turn it, it's a different size. And I was like, "But how? How can you have a box where it's, it's what?" <laughs> and I've seen them, so I know they're real. But I can't do. I can't see boxes. Sam seen I've, boxes. Before. I've seen boxes in the wild. But how? You know how what? Some, <laughs> you know sometimes boxes are not as tall as they are wide. Or as not tall as, as they are wide or, or na- narrow. Or narrow. Right. That's a problem. So I get we the, got that. But mm-hmm. then uh, – and then we the, – the last piece to kind of bring the, the whole – tie the whole thing together was an actual rack to put a, a barbell in. 
And so now I can do pull-ups on this thing. I can do squats. So I've been lifting this week. I feel great. Amazing. My whole body hurts. It's uh, So now I'm finally going to shed my quarantine cocoon. Mm-hmm. My body's been liquefied. Uh, and now I'm going to emerge as in a, as a beautiful butterfly, eagle, eagle man, a beautiful muscly uh, butterfly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I know that at the beginning of the pandemic, I was kind of like, yeah, like I'm not commuting anymore. I got all this time. I'm gonna really take the reins of my of my physique, you know. But it really is just the case that uh, some things are just more enjoyable than others. Yeah. Doing 100 squats is not that great. Find what you love, you know. I uh, I was running yeah. for running for a, a good while. Still am, but I just like I don't mind banging out a bunch of push-ups and stuff, but uh, I do miss lifting. That's for sure. Yeah. It's it's that work smart not hard, right? Like push mm-hmm. a thing up 6 times instead of 60 90. times. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Uh, but you've also been eating scones, as I understand. Well, so yeah, I, you know, you had this update on the docket, and I was like, I need to balance this out uh, for anyone else. As in, yeah. are you balancing out health for something that's not healthy, or yes? What's, as yeah, in, he's okay. bringing balance to the force. Yeah, I'm thinking about our, you know our collective health uh, as a unit, and since Seth's apparently improving his, it's got to you know. It's got to go down somewhere. I'm pretty sure I'm covering the downside pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so Diane and I, the, the shop sort of around the corner from us um, called Winslow's. Winslow's Table has a bakery window that they opened up. Okay, So you just walk up, they got hand sanitizer, they like rub everything down. You wear a mask the whole time. There's hardly anyone there ever in line. And so every couple of days we walk by, get a scone. And these scones... Good Lord, they are so good. It is insane. And so we've been, uh, we've just been eating a tremendous number of scones over the last couple of weeks. And I'm very into it. I don't feel bad about it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I know about scones is I read, you remember the Redwall Abbey books? That's the thing. I think that's that's why I was into them. Yeah. They would always talk about scones. Every time. That book. That book, and this is a, this is a vivid memory from my youth. That book would talk about scones all the time, as if I was supposed to just know what a scone was, and I didn't. Yeah, I and think so, I also I don't remember when the first time I encountered a scone was, but my wife makes them pretty with some frequency now, and I think it may be that the first time I actually had a scone and knew that I was doing that was one that she made. <laughs> That's so as, as an adult human, you know. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I'm 30. How old am I? You're 30. <laughs> I'm 33, and uh, I still actually don't know what a scone is. Like, I couldn't pu- I couldn't pick one out of a police. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know how you, you would know? define it exactly. I would define it as a muffin that is triangle-shaped. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Triangle muffin. Does it have to be triangle-shaped? Yes. Can yes. you have a – That is the, that is the only about? requirement. It can be made out of anything. Doesn't matter. Just got to be shipped like a okay. triangle. Because I, because I'm pretty confident that I've had scones before, and I also remember being a little bit disappointed because red the Redwall books talked about scones so much that I thought these things must be just yeah, and they must and they must be incredible because uh, you know growing up I'd never seen one, I never had one. Uh, well, especially in the context, it was almost of, like a mythological food. Yeah, in the context you know? of Redwall, like all this, that whole series, which is just this fantastical adventures of these weird, well, frankly, animals, animals that are people, basically. Uh, I would, yeah, I get that. If you're like, these are real things, and then you go have one, and it's a triangle shaped muffin, and you're like, it's just a muffin. Okay, but I think is. something we didn't appreciate <laughs> about the Redwall series was that uh, as as sort of you know animals without a spice trade, uh, their palates were actually quite limited, and they probably they may not even have had salt. You know? That's why honey was such so, a big deal. Remember, honey was a huge deal, and if you're eating about scone, honey all the time, yeah, like every piece of food actually basically tastes the same as every other one if you can't put salt and spice on it, right? So, so probably to them, scones were just as good as anything, and maybe even mm. a little bit better because you get some sweetness in there, you know, or something else, or, or who knows? Maybe there are meat scones. I don't know. I don't know. What you can put it in a scone. That's the thing that's uh, that author Brian Je- Brian Jacques Jacques. I have no idea how to say mm-hmm. his name after all this time. He was, know. you know, his metaverse, like this, the world he created, so so deep with its spice trade roots, not passing uh, anywhere near Redwall mm-hmm. or that entire territory. You know, he had that mapped out. So I think it's kudos. 
kudos to him. Yes. It's almost like he orchestrated this entire universe such that he could spend a lot of time writing about scones. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, reading it through that lens, yeah, you could see that 100%. Because he's like, I can't just write a fantasy book that's just about scones because they just don't have enough character arcs and conflicts (laughs) going on. And if I write it about people, then people know that scones are like only okay on average, right? So (laughs) They're just fine. So (laughs) I need to have some sort of characters that don't know that scones are only medium. So I need to create a universe that's not filled with people and that doesn't have a I need to create a universe. I need to create a universe in which scones are the best thing. I need to cut out – he's like, I love scones. To me, scones are the best, but nobody else agrees with me on this. So I need to create a universe in which scones are the top food, period. It's It's sort of conspiracy theory that I've always wanted, you know? Like how come we don't get these conspiracy theories that like the Redwall books are really – just a man who wants to scone propaganda, <laughs> <laughs> sell more baked goods for his local bake shop. Yeah. Next, we're going to find out that he's got like a cousin who runs a scone shop or some shit. And just this whole, this whole thing. How deep, how deep does this go? Deep scone, scone. Gate, scone. scone gate goes all the way to the top. <laughs> <laughs> the, the deep scone, scone gate, you know, <laughs> scone gate. Yeah. Big scone is pumping money into the red, red wall books to prop them up. The thing with big scone though, industry is because it's triangle shaped. Uh, it's pretty easy to spot. It's pretty easy to pick out from the crowd of all the other big pharma. Big all, you know, everyone else is in a box shape, but big scone. Yep. You know them. Come for you. Yep. Triangle. Maybe Illuminati's big, involved. Big scone. You know? That's why it's a triangle. Yep. It's probably. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly don't look, right. Don't, Holy don't shit. look too deep. Don't look too deep at that scone. It'll it'll look right back. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so we also <laughs> need to talk about. There was a fucking huge storm yesterday. It was wild. It was, it was great. We were in the middle of a, of a design chat actually about some uh, Crash and Stew pre production stuff and very good discussion. Just burning through interesting stuff. Answer questions left and right. Very good. And then uh, storm. Storm rolls in, and it's uh, Seth had reported it because he's a bit further out west than we are, and so he's like, "Oh man, there's yeah." A- it goes like it goes like Seth, and then five miles Sam, and then five miles me, basically. Mm-hmm. So we can and just so- hear it on each other's on each other's like microphones rolling through. Yeah, and that was pretty wild because before it even got here, we we heard it crackling through Seth, and then it, it was like a sheet just outside. It was just just completely rain. It only uh, lasted like fifteen minutes. Well, it hit me, and then I was I, I suddenly interrupted the design chat. I was like. By the way, guys, not to interrupt, but save whatever you have, commit and push because mm-hmm. <laughs> you might something's going to happen. Which was a good good thing because basically what happened was about I don't know, I think we still like twenty minutes left, like four forty two, I believe is the exact time. Power mm-hmm. boom gone uh, in my house. And the thing is, like usually during a storm, if you get one of those, it's like a flicker, right? So your machine might power down, everything comes back. And so I was in this sort of weird state for like a few minutes afterwards where I was like, is this like for real this time? Or is this a flicker? Like a really long flicker, like the longest flicker that there has ever been. And then after about 10 minutes, I came downstairs and my wife, of course, who was, uh, she was working on stuff in the basement. So she's, I think she's in the garage for the power now. And so oh, no. just pitch black. And so uh, no windows. Yeah. <laughs> She couldn't even work on her stuff anymore. And so both of us just kind of moseying around for like an hour or so. Couldn't figure <laughs> out what to do. And then like my cell service was actually uh, – turns out I, I don't think it's actually very good in my house, but I'm always on Wi-Fi. So it's never mattered. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, of course, uh, that's the only thing. It mattered. And also you can't go anywhere because of COVID. So it's not like I could be like, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and finish up work or do whatever I was going to do. Uh and so it was this weird, it was honestly a weird situation where I was suddenly realized with sort of a, a startle, just how dependent on power people are generally, but especially during a damn pandemic when like yep. you can't go, you're yeah. supposed to go anywhere. So like, how are you, uh, how are you self entertaining and keeping busy in your house? Everything is, is power. Yeah. Everything's electricity. And because I didn't pre-plan for it, you know, for the power going out that I didn't have any like I have a Kindle, I have some stuff that I could, you know, that has book. I've just had books on my shelf, but I've read all those ones. And then I just came off vacation, so I also just read all the books that are my Kindle. So I like dug through it until I hit stuff that I 
pulled up maybe like a year ago, maybe didn't finish or whatever else. And just got kind of started reading, but I didn't really want to. I didn't come here for this. I was just having to do something to entertain my brain. So it was a weird, uh, weird sort of evening. Okay. I have an idea. I have a, I have a cool idea. Take a, take a duffel bag or some kind of a, some kind of a container. Okay. Mm -hmm. Create yourself a power outage evening entertainment kit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Put put some wine in there because uh, that's never going to go bad, right? It'll True. only get better. Uh, put some wine in there, red wine, because it doesn't have to be refrigerated. Then uh, put some books. Get some, I don't know, just some board games. There's like two-person board games. And then when the power goes out, you can be like, oh, yes. It's time. And then you can go – It's because <laughs> then you can bust out your, your power outage I feel like party with, with that sort of a vibe, you should actually gift wrap it. You know, oh yeah, it, like talk about starting it off right. You just go tear into that thing. Oh, that'd be so fun. You're ridiculous. And then when a storm comes, you're like, oh, is it? Is it time? Is it gonna happen? <laughs> we get you can get a cool like little lantern in there, and maybe like a Lego kit. Was well, actually all we had. Yeah, all we had for light was uh, this little weird lantern that I got in Diana a long time ago. For uh, I think I know. I think actually before we, we were gonna go camping and they never did. We bought this little super powered little lantern that you hand crank. Uh, oh yeah, up. I got one of those. Yeah. yeah, it's good to have one of those because they just they cast light like crazy. They, they do, but that's the thing. Like so. it's a very particular kind because it's coming at you from the side, like not from above. So actually, as soon as it's dark, yes. it's actually very hard to use it to do basically anything with. Because if you set it on the table, it just blinds you. That's it. Yep. And I was like, this is not the best. So <laughs> it was a hot sleep last night uh, without AC, but we're we're getting along okay. Yep. So I I think I may have to I may have to look more into this uh, power outage party kit because mm -hmm. it sounds pretty dope. Uh, and then Adam, you got a cat. Yeah, right it's before happened. the storm hit on so, well, the, the night before, but yeah, so right yeah. right twenty four hours before the storm the storm hit. Yeah, um, yeah, we found a we found a kitten. I can't remember. I think last week when we were talking about stuff. I had mentioned that we found the one we were going to get. Yes. I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But yes, we picked her up on Monday night uh, after work and – or Tuesday night and uh, brought her home. And she is so fucking tiny. Like so mm -hmm. – she's a four-month-old kitten. And I actually haven't – I haven't had like a kitten kitten uh, since we were kids probably. Um and those are the ones that we just like found out in the ditch or something, right? Because we lived in the country and people would just throw animals out the they window because they're mm -hmm. a bunch of assholes. Um, yeah. And uh, so I haven't just had, had like a kitten kitten. And, the, the, you know, the one that we got a few months ago, Ori, um, was six months old when we got him. And the difference between a four-month-old and a six-month-old kitten is fucking hilarious. They're like – there's literally – 50%. It's a two, I think it's a two-fold. I think it's a two-fold difference. Like it's – Oh, man. It's, it's wow. crazy. Her, her head's like the size of a ping-pong ball. It's like – if you were to take two ping pong balls and kind of like mush them together, that's like the size of her little tiny head. <laughs> so she's so small that she has this giant belly incision because they spayed her right before we got her, like a, like a five days before we got her. And so she's this like little tiny thing with this giant incision down her belly. And so like every time I pick up, I'm like, oh, my God, what if I break this? You know, <laughs> she's just so – and my other cats are just like flinging around and like, you know, making them dance and doing the whole – doing all the stuff that you do with cats, right? Mm -hmm. the with tolerant cats. And uh, and they don't give a shit about what's happening because cats are very They're robust. Noodles. They're noodles. And I'm pretty sure this cat doesn't either because she's like leaping on things and doing all the kind of stuff that, that cats do. But every time I pick her up, I'm just like – it's too it's terrifying because she's too she's too small. She's too little. It doesn't even make sense. I don't even know where she puts her little guts. You know, but she's also got those hypodermic needle <laughs> talons. So that's the uh, yeah. We didn't manage to cut those off because once she goes to sleep, she's really fucking asleep. Um, but she, outside of that, she's very squirrely and hard to hard to control. So yeah, it was a, so we're trying it. We're trying this whole uh, you know uh, lady lady eating the fly scenario. Problem. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, so far, the two kittens seem to be interested in each other's presence. But we're doing the whole, you know, slow. with cats, you do the slow introduction, like a very slow introduction over a week or two, where you know you have one in one room, you let the other one come sniff under the door, you give them both treats while this is happening, you like rub one with something and then rub it on the other one to get the scents all mixed up, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, so this is just slow as fuck process that we tr we tried to skip and like and make shorter with with our last kitten that we got. And uh, that was a mistake, man. So, so <laughs> this time we're going to take it. It's the DevOps of cat rearing, you know? 
Small batch, small, small batch. batch cat introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just take it one step at a time. So I don't know. She, she's very, very cute. Um, very exciting. I don't get to, I haven't gotten to spend any time with her because she just has to be in one room so the other cats can't like, so they can't form any negative, you know, interactions early on. And so she's just with my wife in her office. And so for my lunch break, I go for five minutes and like rub her tiny head, you know, and then, uh, and then after work, there's a lot of kitten, kitten tossing time, but amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good luck. I'm I'm curious to hear on the next episode uh, if it works. Yeah, because by by the next episode we will have probably introduced the two kittens to each other. So hopefully, what's going to happen is they're going to lock eyes and they're going to be like, "Yes," and then they're both <laughs> going to turn and immediately start harassing the third cat. That's kind of what, I, that's kinda what I figure is going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my main worry again because she's just so small because she she's got at least as much energy as her other cat or their kitten does, uh, but she's tiny. And the other kitten, his, the problem that we have with him is he's an aggressive, a very aggressive player. And so now I'm like, even if they both do want to play with each other, he's going to kill her on accident, you know? He's going to like gently uh, like gently tap her little face and her, her head will come flying off across the room. <laughs> sort of a scenario. So Nah, kittens are robust and they are animals robust. usually have a, a pretty good like – Sense. Nick, what is funny too, because like, because again, like, she just had her guts like ripped out a few days ago, basically, right? And this incision is like as long as her fucking belly, right? So it's like it's like yeah. a third of her body length, and it looks really grody because she's just looking at it constantly, right? And she just doesn't give a <laughs> fuck. She's just running around like leaping on things and, and just doing like the high energy stuff, like le- leaping onto a counter. You know, she's about maybe whatever tall this is. Like she's about six inches tall, probably something like that, and she's leaping onto counters that are four feet high, right? All with this fresh belly wound. Where she just, I, was, I was like thinking it's like, uh, it's like training with ankle weights. You know, she's just getting ready. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't imagine healed. how she's going to be a fucking maniac when she gets healed up in the group. <laughs> I was like thinking back to when I had my, my gut surgery uh, a few years ago now and just how fucking incapacitated I was for mm-hmm. for week. I mean, it was, it was like, it was a week of like pure capacitation where I couldn't sit up because I had, I had, you know, holes punched through my abs. Right. But my abs were intact. They just had some holes in them. Right. But that was enough that like my body didn't want to like lift up because it just hurt so much. And my body was just like, no, I'm not going to, I'm just not, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I had to like prop myself up and never be fully prone because I couldn't get back up, you know, <laughs> like all this stuff. And, well, uh, you know- and it just hurts so bad for two weeks. And then there's this little kitten who's just like, yeah, I had my guts removed. I don't give a fuck. It's fine. I'm jumping on cat. Well, when fine. when your kitten when your cat turns thirty and then has a gut surgery, we'll see. That's also we'll true. See how well <laughs> how well she yeah, That's true. Because I guess if I had been a because if you do surgery on babies, they recover basically instantly. Instantly. Too. So, yeah. They don't care. They have no idea what's going on. Uh, all right, let's talk about some studio news for starters. Uh, we now have Rumpus fully integrated into Crashlands, so we are now in. Vigorous testing mode, and uh, it's still going to be quite some time before we we deploy this thing because we're going to be probably rolling out just all of the games, just just all, all in a, all <laughs> in a wave, um, which is actually what we did with with uh, B Scotch ID back in the day because yeah. we had because we originally had Quadrupus Rampage, Flop Rocket, um, yeah, Road Rage and Tal Fight, all four of them, yeah. Uh, were built before we had Bscotch ID. Then we made Bscotch ID, and then we sort of re-released those games as 2.0 versions. Um, did we do it all at the same time, or did we do it in some stack? Yeah, yeah, we did them all at the same time, um, which was cool, and that actually gave us a big featuring opportunity on uh, on iOS, which was cool. Mm-hmm. And that, that was our first launch onto iOS for a couple of those games. So. Uh, so we're going to be kind of doing that big wave again, and uh, it's been super fun. It's also kind of interesting to see it, – it's it's cool to see the sort of like reusable solutions thing that happens in programming where like Crashlands took like three weeks to get everything sort of shored up. And I'm now only about four hours into Roid Rage, and it's about half done. Mm-hmm. Like – and then – And most of that will also get, roll forward. Yeah, and the, and the reason it's taking is going to take more than that is because there's a couple of new problems to solve. But then once those are solved, uh, I just drop them into Flop Rocket and mm-hmm. Quadrupus, right? And so um, it's it's really accelerating, 
And uh, we're also doing some fun stuff like just kind of sharpening up some things in those games, increasing their resolution a little bit. You know, they're just going to feel and look nicer. Um, so or at least lots of good, lots of good not stuff. broken on certain devices yes. now. Yeah. So on some devices, B Scotch ID just crashes. I think when you try to log in, it just you it just crashes. It's like, no. Um, yep. So, well, and we, because <laughs> we were just talking about this today too, we long ago had made the assumption that there was sort of a max, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Skinniness. Width versus, versus height ratio, right, that, that uh, devices would have. I think we called it two to one or something like that because it was the widest device at the time. Actually, it was wider than the widest device at the time, but we were like, surely – Surely nobody would go beyond two by one. Uh, and we are well, well past two by one is the max at this point. And so there are even the devices that we have, like each one of us, I'm pretty sure has a, has a more than two by one device. And uh, that kind of fucks with some of the games a bit, turns out. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all just going to look better, be smoother. You're going to have rumpus in them. Oh, oh. That's no, going to be so good. It is funny, though, because I remember uh, back when we were talking about all this resolution stuff, we were the thing that we were so worried about, actually, was PC gamers, like with, with Crashlands in particular. And being like, because like, you just, because like, they're, they're wily. They have like every kind of monitor imaginable. They got like 10 in a row. And like, they got, or maybe they have them in a diagonal pattern. Like, who knows what, mm-hmm. what those squirrely, what those squirrely PC players are doing, right? And so that's the yeah. thing we were obsessed about, like trying to make sure we covered the cases so that we had things that just at least behaved well, if not the way that the user necessarily expected. But then it turned out really all in the end, it was actually mobile. That's giving us the most headaches. It's always the ones you least suspect that will betray you. Yes. You know, <laughs> that's the lesson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's coming along. Well, I, I, I presume that by the time net we record uh, the next episode, um, we'll probably be done with roid rage and be testing that might even be done with flop rocket. So things are just cruising. Um, and by the time we get done with all the games, then it's then it's time, mm-hmm. time for, for the next game yeah, for a thing. It has been uh, yeah. the the data migration stuff has been uh, quite nightmarish. We've talked about it a little bit, but things keep on cropping up. So so like so the so we mentioned last week that the the data migration stuff was done, meaning basically that stuff new data was going to the to Rumpus instead of B Sketch ID. But all the old data was still there and needed to be ported over. And so that's what I've been working on is, is sort of batch operations of all that stuff. Uh, thought I had it all working yesterday. Discovered this morning that I'd been, I'd been batch migrating the same 50 people's accounts uh, every minute for Uh-oh. 24 hours. <laughs> so, uh, so figured that one out. It was just – dude, it was, it's always something stupid. So I – uh, it took an hour to figure out, of course, even though it was something <laughs> stupid. Uh, so we had that happen. Also discovered yesterday that uh, – what was that? The in-app purchases for all the for all the uh, games that have those, um, that those are also editing the same data that like the game is using to store stuff. Uh, and I just kind of forgot about in-app purchases. And so so those weren't being migrated. So then, so then for those users who had migration happen, they're – their migrated data now is completely separate from their in-app purchases. So if you made a purchase, like in the five-day window during which this was true, it showed up in Bscotch ID but not in Rumpus where it needed to be. And so uh-huh. then it was as if you didn't make a purchase. Mm. So then so then that happened. I had to deal with that. And then today discovered that uh, users are trying to still gift butter-ups because there's like, what, one user every like – Four weeks or something that wants to try to try to use the the, <laughs> the butter up gifting process that we have, uh, and this follows the same. This has this is yet another like completely separate independent avenue into this data that I also had forgotten about, and so I haven't figured this one out yet because because it, it's turns out it's pretty convoluted. Um, yep. But yeah, these, these fucking things just keep like I thought I had it. I thought I had everything rolling. I was like, I oh mean, yeah, I could just batch this thing and be done with it. And just these little fucking things keep on coming. B-Sketch ID, I mean, it did a lot of things. It, and it, we are throwing almost all yeah. of it away, like almost all the stuff that it does. Um, mm-hmm. And it's still... Well, replacing almost all of it. But, yeah. yeah. Well, even like the friend system uh, and messaging and all that stuff uh, yeah. is going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah, we set it up to do all these things, but it, but because we we don't have a dev environment, we can't test things in it, which means... We set up to do all these things, but we couldn't really use those things very effectively just 
because they were too hard to hook up to the games. Mm-hmm. So yep. going forward, it's going to be great. We're gonna we're gonna be able to much more easily uh, modify things. So uh, we'll we'll have some more info on sort of uh, when these rollouts will actually start to happen. Um, probably within a few weeks, but we'll have some updates. All right, let's get on to questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Tofos, who says, Some time has passed since you've launched Levelhead. 100 years, probably, since that's how long you have to wait to get 10 upvotes on your question. (laughs) Uh Sounds about right. (laughs) So, how is Levelhead doing Compared to Crashlands. Oh, I think we've already kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, well, I mean, we have way more players coming in because it's just in more places. Yes, definitely. Way more. And it's levelhead players you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Um, especially through things like Xbox Game Pass, which Crashlands is not in. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely still way more active. In yeah. terms of like player activity, uh, Discord, all that kind of stuff. Um, but because we did the free epic uh, thing with Crashlands, like at the same time as we launched Levelhead, we, we got this just huge influx of Crashlands players, uh, a couple million actually. And of course, like since they were free players, then almost all of them never even – Got past the main menu. <laughs> well, probably most of them didn't install the game. Most people don't boot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how free games work. Um, I mean, that that has been my own experience with free games with Epic. I think my my Epic library now has at least fifty games in it, and I've installed yeah. I think three of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but it still is the case that that actually Crashlands is is getting a pretty good search. The big the big problem is we we have no good means of tracking stuff because yeah. Crashlands uses Bscotch ID, which isn't hooked into our normal analytics yeah. system. So actually can't um, really say. Uh, so but. we can't say. We will be able to say once we get uh, the Rumpus update out for Crashlands. Yeah. Um, well, I say it's also good timing because we have the, uh, we'll have the Levelhead update out actually not not too long. Um, we're sort of, we, have, we haven't 100% finalized the date yet, but we have a date uh, that we're making sure is, is all good and it's actually not too far away. And so... That's super exciting. I think I think the the changes we're making are basically designed as, as far as uh, beyond just adding a ton of cool stuff to the update uh, are also designed to basically help keep players around if they're coming from one of these essentially lower investment services. So if you're coming from a subscription model, uh, making it so the tutorial is just uh, a bit uh, like basically a thing that you can dodge if you want to and, and that sort of thing because people who are not invested don't want to don't want to sit around and, and wait for you to finish explaining how the game works, right? Um, yeah. So I think we're, we had a couple of other changes to it that, are, that I'm really looking forward to, and I'm stoked to see the overall creation potential from the, all the new stuff. Uh, I will say the like the general pace of levels coming in is still ridiculous. Like the total amount of content is just obscene. And we'll have, there'll be some- We are now some, at 75,000 levels. Uh, I was going to not say that so we could say no. that for the uh, update. But, yeah, sure. Uh, okay. I didn't know so, this was a secret. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. not a secret. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's like ridiculous, uh, just the total number of of creations that people put in, especially when you imagine that each one of the levels typically, uh, they, I mean, it's a couple hours of input uh, for people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's – and we were actually – we're still getting um, – it seemed like actually just the last week. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it seemed like just this last week or two. I feel like I've heard from like – Five or six people. They're like, "Oh yeah, my kids been playing Levelhead. Just loves it. Just been playing mm-hmm. the shit out of it all the time." Yeah. And so, it, this is one of the nice things about making. Uh, about, I think about making games or making anything that like that can just kind of passively do stuff exist. Yeah, because yeah. it just kind of keeps on keeping on in a really cool way. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun to see. Yep. Uh, so, so we don't really know the comparison. We'll find out though. We'll find out how Crashlands. Is doing compared to Levelhead. Uh, yeah, we in terms of just yeah, number of, of users, it is the case that we have uh, that we have basically twice as many users that came in via Crashlands as we do that came in via Levelhead. But that's with you know a four year head start in the case of Crashlands, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes, and lots of bundles and lots and of bundles and a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, and then of course also that you know free Epic thing and all that stuff. So. Um, 
so so you know so given that uh, I think I think level head is comparable but um but it's it's not like it's not blowing crashlands out of the water or anything like that. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. Our right, next question comes from Captain Wiggly who says as an indie studio what strategies have you found to be the least effective for promoting your games? And do you ever think a publisher would have been worth it for a launch like Levelhead? Mm. So least effective strategies for promoting your game. Pretty much I all would of say, them. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I was going to say too. Were you <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Any any one strategy on its own is essentially useless. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of no matter no matter what it is. It's really just the aggregate with a few exceptions of things that I, I would advocate for being um, – completely useless on their own. And I think for me, that's conventions. Um, hmm. So so the reason a convention is useful is if you've already done the work to set up a bunch of meetings to meet with press or, or whatever, but it's kind of questionable as to whether or not you would need to demo and get a booth at and a do convention all these other specifically. Things. Yeah. At a convention specifically to make that happen. Or if um, you're doing it because there are, you know, awards tied to certain kinds of convention things. Um, because then once you get those award leaves and you can use that for for uh, social proof that the thing is that the thing you've made is something that people want and then you can roll that forward into future success and so on. Yeah, because I mean if you're if you're talking about say like dropping ten thousand dollars to uh, which is a pretty Good guess if you're going to like go to Seattle for a weekend, uh, spend a a week or two setting up some kind of special demo version of your Mm game. Um, Yeah, don't don't ignore the dev cost of preparing a demo. Um, Yeah, yeah, like get plane tickets, get hotels, go there, come back, get sick, take a week (laughs) off and recover, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's just – it's super expensive. And if you were to just say, you know what? I'm just going to keep working on my game as normal, and instead I'm going to drop $5,000 on on a YouTube ad to promote my mm-hmm. trailer or something. All of a sudden you're going to get – like how many views do you get on a YouTube video for like $5,000? I mean the level had one uh, – I mean it's far far above $5,000, but as far as like the general conversion, uh, what would be – it's somewhere between like two, think 250000 Yeah. Two fifty. Yeah. What to what? What's the conversion to? So it's, 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 well, that's it's, it's troublesome. The five k, five k to what k views? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it was something around. It's anywhere between a hundred and. Uh, I think it's between yeah, a hundred and two hundred fifty thousand or so. Yeah. Something so the thing is like, and 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 when it comes to things like YouTube ads, um, you know, you're only you're only paying for people who actually watch through the thing, right? There's like a certain threshold where mm-hmm. you you pay. Um, and so if somebody just like opens up your ad and then immediately closes it or hits skip or whatever, then you're not getting charged for that. Um, and so you, so for, for like half the cost of going to PAX, you could have more people who attend more, like more people than even attended PAX see your, your trailer. Right. Um, it's, it's definitely a different context. Right. Yeah. But But I think the most important thing uh, is that you can't, uh, basically the the problem is that you can't do you can't do deals with YouTube ads, right? Which is right. actually where the conventions come in. Um, but I think that's that's sort of the the greater point that I think Seth you were getting at, and uh, same thing with Adam, which is, which is that each one of these each one of these things they're all kind of mutually dependent on each other. And anytime you're doing activity in one of them, oftentimes it feels like you can't even. You're like, what the hell? This is like my fortieth tweet. This like the last two weeks. Part of this, I'm doing a contest. I don't know what's happening. Are you emailing people or whatever else? There's just a lot of stuff that oftentimes happens before you end up having that one thing happen that ends up uh, being super useful. And I think that's part of the part of the trouble with wrapping your head around it. You know, uh, is that every everything you did was pointless on it, like on its own. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, none of it is measurable. So even even those yes. YouTube ads we did, uh, we have no idea. If that was worth doing, there's there's literally no Correct. way for us to know. We do know that to our to the best of our ability to actually measure stuff, which is very very hard uh, for measuring the results of ads. But uh, to the to the our best guess, our best reasonable guess is that it's it cost us more to advertise than we earned directly from advertising, right? Mm-hmm. But that's also not necessarily the point of advertising when you launch a game, because most of the point 
advertising launching a game is to is to build brand awareness um, so that when people see it in the context of which they will buy it. So they boot up Xbox and you know shows up on the front page. They're scrolling through the list on Switch and they see your your box art or whatever, right? That they've seen it before, so it looks familiar. They There's may not remember need. why, but it looks familiar. So they take an extra half of a second to like look uh, at that thing, which then increases like they actually go look into it and eventually buy it. Um, and so, so because this, this is how, how Coca Cola works, yes, right, yeah, nobody can forget the, that Coca Cola uh, exists, right? Yeah, it's the mere. It's called the mere exposure effect, uh, which is a it's a common marketing uh, approach, which is to just saturate people's awareness with your product, so that when a purchase opportunity finally does arise. Then your product is just more familiar. Yeah, right? but this is and very more likely to get it. This is a super expensive strategy. If this is your only, if the only thing available to you to to make people aware of your thing is advertising, uh, it's probably not going to be cost effective. Probably um, because you need you're basically using advertising as a way to sort of like claw in and hook into other things that can also boost visibility in, in different ways. So, so I think our thinking on this has varied a lot over the years to thinking that certain things are completely useless, to everything is useless, to certain things are really important, to all to really think finally <laughs> boiling down to, uh, to in the same, for the same reason that we launch on multiple platforms. Like we, we don't launch just on one platform because you never know how well a single platform is going to perform. Um, and if we look right now at like at what our tail looks like for level head, the reason that Levelhead is going to allow us to continue making games, um, in terms of like the money that's being made on the daily, right, is because it's on a bunch of platforms. Yep. Any one platform alone, we would not be making enough money to continue doing what we're doing. Yeah, I think that was uh, even true with Crashlands. Uh, it was true, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like it's and that frankly, this should always be the case because like if a game's successful, uh, if a game is successful enough by itself on just one platform. Uh, that typically is where you just, that's like, a, that's literally what a hit is, right? In my opinion, yeah. which is like, if you've made something that like, it just, it's going. Um, but that's not necessarily a thing you can depend on. And I think you're right that it's, it's And then it would have been far more successful if it was a hit, if it was also a hit on every other platform. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think it's, it's much smarter to, to, uh, to approach it strategically from the angle of saying, okay, so what do we have the capacity to effectively deliver on? What are we good at? What's what's appropriate for the game? You know, does it make awesome gifts or not? Uh, is it yeah. is it good for YouTube or not? Um, Can we? Have a, would a PR company be able to convince uh, mm-hmm. people IGN in the press to actually it. cover it? And yeah, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, um, and then and then go from there. I think is probably the the approach because the truth is like you have limited time, so you still have to like as a especially as a small team, you oftentimes do have to choose where the weight goes. But I think people and I, I think we've done it in the past too is we've done it more more out of kind of whatever we were doing at the time, not necessarily based on uh, what would be best for that particular game, which is the hard part to kind of wrap your head around, I think. So I also want to, I want to talk a little bit about influencers mm-hmm. um, in that there's a, there's been a lot of talk about the importance of getting influencers to play your game, right? And that they will like bring their audience to the game and stuff like that. And in our case, it actually was the case that when Sieve, Sieve Gaming, um, when he made his YouTube video about Levelhead, we saw a spike that was actually larger than our initial early access launch. Mm-hmm. And it also right. brought in some of who the people who are still our most active community members. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's definitely the case that in in some in some situations, influencers can can uh, bring an audience to a game. But I think it only works if the if the influencer themselves and their community mesh really well with your game. Yeah. Yes. And so there's an, there's an interesting sort of catch-22 with streamers, which is uh, streamers are just as influenced as they are influencers. So they will tend to want to play games that already have audiences of people who are excited about that game. Because because why wouldn't um, they? Because <laughs> right, they need right. they need viewers. It's, it's the same reason why, like, uh, it's the same reason why you would see 50, 15,000 articles about Fortnite be written every single day, mm-hmm. despite there being no new information or news about Fortnite. Right. Um, 
Uh, or, or just by the news popular, being right? very small, right? Like, uh, right. The news being like somebody, somebody found some possible thing about some gun, but nobody really knows for sure yet. Like they're boom, there's an IGN article. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the reason is that, uh, that people who are content creators, like, uh, reviewers, YouTubers, streamers, whatever, um, they live and die by their audiences. They need a big audience and audiences show up to see things that they're already interested in. So, um, so there's, there's kind of an interesting push and pull when it comes to promoting your game through influencers, which is they really don't want to cover your game as a means of promoting it. They want to cover a game that's going to expand their audience, right? Like it's not, it's not their job to uh, bring an audience to your game. It's your job to bring your game's audience to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so, so a lot of times you'll see streamers doing like uh, paid sponsorships and promotions and stuff like that. Those tend to be super expensive, like crazy um, expensive. And yeah, and it's and it's very hard to figure out whether that actually. It's because it's completely nuanced. It completely depends does, on that. Yeah. Like Adam said, the interaction between two entities, the, the actual person and the game, uh, determines yeah. whether or not it'll actually end up being – And the kind of streamer that they are. Um, yeah, and, then, and ethically, you know, if it's a good streamer operating you know, a business properly, then they would need to tell you this is sponsored content, right? And the moment that a thing is sponsored content – uh, a proportion of the audience gets skeptical. Yeah, they're, they're immediately <laughs> yeah. skeptical because someone's being paid to do it. And so, yeah, yep. so, so it turns out it's actually just incredibly difficult to to get to get anybody on any part of the the process. Um, the, the one thing you can reliably do is pay an advertising company to show ads to people. Like that, you can make happen. But whether or not people give a shit when they see your ads right, <laughs> yep. is uh, is is yet another problem that you have to deal with. And so, so there's no there's no way that it just uh, works. Um, and it all depends on what it is that you're offering, what your competitors are doing, the influencers who are going to try to use because they're they're trying to use your product to make themselves uh, more successful, right? Uh, it all depends on the ability of your game to meet all the sides of the the, the PR side of the market um, successfully. So yeah, the thing right. that I remember the most about all this, for some reason that sticks out is, it's just like an, a weird example of just how nobody really has any good idea of what, what works and what doesn't work is when, uh, when Blizzard was launching their Warlords of Draenor expansion and they bought a taxi cab and made a giant replica of Gore Howl, which is the axe used by Grom Hellscream in the game. And they, they punched this axe into the taxi cab. So this axe was like 12 feet long. It was fucking huge. So it was, it was as if somebody had just chopped this taxi. Uh, and then they rented a portion of Times Square and parked the cab there. Um, and and if you walked past that and you didn't already know about mm-hmm. this axe or this game or whatever, it's just a cab with an axe in it. <laughs> well, you would be definitely um, like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah you and you think that yeah. is crazy, and you might look it up later or whatever. And it was it was and very it was lots of and news articles, and yeah, there was a whole bunch that came yeah. out of it. But there's still the question because without a doubt, that cost them a few hundred thousand dollars, right? To to it's stage a, just, that. That's a pricey spot. Yeah, yeah very and, pricey. And would it have been better had they just done hundred thousand dollars of YouTube ads? You know? Nobody knows. Yep. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. Nobody can say. Nobody can say like, what was the conversion rate of people who walked past that accident <laughs> yes. Times Square? Mm-hmm. Like nobody knows. <laughs> nobody can say anything nope. about it, uh, other than that it certainly got people talking. <laughs> yeah, and it was did. memorable. Yep. Yeah, so, I think I think you know uh, you've made it when you can spend advertising money on uh, on those sorts of uh, what's stunts. the word for that stunts? Yeah, we can spend mm-hmm. money on stunts because you're basically saying. I'm I'm so confident in our ability to sell this thing that I can just generate news about it with using money because it's like because you can't do a stunt without either a fuckload of money or doing something really irresponsible or or both right. <laughs> your options <laughs> uh, and so so just to have that much resources right where you could basically say like it doesn't actually matter really if this two hundred thousand dollars stunt. Uh, doesn't result in anything like two hundred thousand dollars of actual revenue because our only goal is just to is just to be everywhere. Cause a and ruckus. We're gonna, we're yep. gonna pay out the nose to be everywhere because uh, our budget. Because I assume the budget for Blizzard to put one of these things out is in the tens of millions of dollars that at least, right? For yeah. 
for an update. Well, and this is, of course, like Blizzard is a subsidiary of Activision, uh, who owns King, which is the creators of Candy Crush. Oh, I forgot about that. We know yeah. that Candy Crush spends over a billion dollars a year on ads. Like, what's two hundred thousand? Yeah. You know, in that in that pool, you 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 can't even see it. It's just a speck. I'm still waiting for a taxi so. cab being smashed by Candy Crush pieces, though. Yeah. <laughs> that would get me confused. A giant, or just like full of taxi cab full of candy. <laughs> the windows, the windows are open, and it's just like falling out the sides. I think uh, lawyers would call that an entrapment or something. Um, no, what is it? It's an attractive, attractive nuisance. nuisance. Attractive mm-hmm. nuisance. Yeah, I don't think it was being to trap yeah. it. <laughs> you lure people in to eat candy off the ground. Uh, yeah. All right. Next question comes from uh, comes from Buckaro Vimtangle, who says, "I know you've talked. Oh, sorry, I, I was hoping you could talk more around the." Headspace for taking game development seriously. I know you've talked about the power of game jams, but coming from an animation freelance background, I'm having trouble seeing the path from make games to what? Should I just double down on skills, find collaborators, get funds? Uh, I know I shouldn't set out with the objective of making money, but I also enjoy building systems around game the game products. I would love to have each of your take on how to put my game face on. Mm. I think it depends on what you're trying to do. I think, I think if you don't know where you're trying to go, then you can't actually answer all those questions, right? Because like, the, give me an example. So if you're, if you're super competent at animation, uh, there are types of games you can make that have a lot of animation to them uh, where that could basically be a, a thing you show off. And the question is, would you still have enough time to program the damn game? So is this, are you, are you wanting to do this as like a solo project uh, or is it something that you actually, is there some vision you want to bring to life that you would like to actually try, uh, you know, pitching a publisher on or something like that? Uh, usually what you would want in that case is you want to build enough of it, especially if you don't have a background in the industry, build enough of it that someone could sit down and play it and see it. And then if they can see parts of your animation reel or whatever else, uh, that they could then say, yes, you know, we want to give you some cash monies and have you build this thing. Um, you could take that route. So there's that sort of the investment route, which is I think probably the more, more of the traditional one than just the, uh, the like quit your job for five years, build it alone in a basement sort of approach. Um, it's also a better idea because it's, it's less risky for you overall if you can get someone else to pay for it, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and nobody's going to pay for an idea, right? Like, yes, you, you need to, if, if you're an animator um, and you and you don't think of yourself as a programmer, then my uh, and and if you, if your goal is to go into this commercially, so like start up your own studio, start making your own IP and selling your games, mm-hmm. um, I would I would think that that forming a a studio and, and a team like a founding team would be kind of priority number one. But it's kind of a circular problem. I would say that that can be hard to break through. Um, I know that that for me, I started making games just on my own, and I did that for um, for a, a year, a year and a half or so before uh, before I was making anything even remotely good enough to start to convince other people to mm-hmm. come with me on the the journey. Um, because nobody wants to nobody wants to you know hitch their wagon to a horse with no legs. <laughs> <laughs> As the thing goes, yep. you got to show you got to show that you can go places. Um, yeah, that's just a seal and, at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 but just a, a seal, is just a horse with side <laughs> legs. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so you got to demonstrate uh, confidence and competence in your craft to get people to rally behind you. Um, and and if you're able to do that, then it's much easier to form a team. If but that's still if assuming you your next ideas, step then is is to form a team and and make a company mm-hmm. out of a group of people because it doesn't have to be right. It could still be the solo the solo move. It could still be self funded. It could still be a hobby. There, there's any well, approach. No, I'm saying the path is the same in all cases, which is continue to make awesome things and develop your skills. Sure. Yeah, but but that's not sufficient though, because because if you're just getting better at it, but don't have a, but don't don't like figure out how you're going to try to start selling stuff or, or have an idea of like what scope means, um, in in relation to your goals, right? Because uh, if yeah. you're going to sit down and the first thing you're going to make is your you know your solo made MMO that you're going to spend fifteen years making and then eventually launch and have that 
to come to nothing, right? Uh, then that's, you know, that's not a good path. Um, even if that's the path you want to take, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think Sam's point that you actually have to, that you have to decide what your goals actually are. Cause if, it, if, and I think you actually, there was a, there was a, a moment in that, in that question that was about, I know I shouldn't do this to make money, right? Which is mm-hmm. not the right position to take. Honestly, yeah. I mean, uh, if, if you're going to do it to live, you need to make money doing. It. Yeah. So you need if you want to do it for a hobby, then yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't need to do it to make money. And then, but as soon as that's true, then the question of like, what's the next step, and and what like all that goes away actually, because then you just do whatever you then want. Then it's just whatever you find fun. Yeah, that's the whole reason. You're <laughs> <to begin with. laughs> yeah. If you want to do it as an actual uh, as an actual business, then you have to treat it like a business. So actually, and we just we we had a long conversation about this and an episode or two ago mm-hmm. yeah, about absolutely. the idea that actually the core, the core point of going from, from being a hobbyist and, and kind of trying to figure out what's important and brushing up your skills and that sort of stuff to actually doing game making for a living is in treating this as a business and treating mm-hmm. it as a business first. Um, and that's now a whole new set of skills you have to go start digging into. And then, and, and but that's what reveals to you the questions that you need to start asking because once you're going to treat it like a business where your goal is to earn your keep you know, making games, um, then that's where you can start. You start with that as your foundation and start asking questions about, okay, how do I, how can I make this possible? Right. Do I, do I have the skill myself required to do every component of, of what it takes to do that? And if not, what are the pieces that are missing? So then, then you can go start filling in those gaps, but the whole time with an eye toward the goal of this thing being to run as a business. I do think it's funny that I I know, um, we talk a lot about doing stuff, doing stuff yourself or starting your team or whatever else, but, the truth too is that, especially if you already have a skill that would be useful in a video game studio right now, and you want to make your own game someday, uh, or have your own studio someday, but you haven't actually worked in a game studio, uh, you don't necessarily know any programmers. Um, a lot of a really good way, I think, to to consider what other studios could be doing for you in this capacity uh, is that the reality is, if you get chances to you know apply your trade as an animator while also learning how a studio works. Uh, and also, of course, meeting people who are in the game dev space. In other words, if you worked for a studio uh, in a capacity where you're able to deliver for them, while also, of course, learning tons of stuff, because if, you know, if you're working anywhere good, you'll be learning stuff the whole time, uh, that can actually be a really good way to, to kind of actually I think that's move probably forward. the best way to, to get started if you're, if you're starting with, I've got some skills, but I've never you know, even considered running a business and that sort of thing, is to not start as an as a indie dev I mean, you might join an indie dev team, but not start as right. the one who founded it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that of course assumes that you can get one of those jobs, which depends yep. enormously on on your situation, the place that you live, and the and the, the state of the world. You know, at the time that you're trying to do it. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, but but that's it's a path worth exploring, um, and that that you shouldn't look down on because it's not the dream of like I'm the person running the studio doing exactly what I want, um, because so much of this is learning about how to do stuff and starting to build networks of people who can help you in some way. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, that's what we did. You know, Sam and I worked at uh, another mm-hmm. studio here in St. Louis for eight months before we, before we started a uh, B scotch. So, um, and, and it was, it was extremely valuable. We met a lot of people who were super talented and, and we still rely on some of those people to this day to help us do things. Um, yeah. Uh, one of them does our box art. Still, right? <laughs> I mean, we, mm-hmm. we pay him to, to do it, but yeah. uh, and the but, backgrounds, uh, the backgrounds, yeah. and level head for like the mm-hmm. right, yeah, all, all yeah, those that was that same guy. made by a guy who we worked with at that first studio, and uh, and you know, in some cases, you'll go somewhere and you'll 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 realize things that you don't want to do or things that you don't like about working on teams of certain mm-hmm. sizes or whatever. Just but that's also, yep. that's also valuable. Um, yeah, so it's really just uh, you just got to be doing stuff, get out there. Get onto a team if you're not looking to form one, publish things. Um, just got to get that experience. Yeah, but the first step uh, is always clearly articulate a goal because once you have that, then now there's going to be a set of problems you're going to solve to get you mm-hmm. there, and then you can get started down that path. Back computing is way easier than trying to just like make shit up. I think you know, like as soon as it is, yeah, because yeah, there's no because there's no answer to what should I do now if there's no. If there's, if there's no, no point where you're that's going. intended, right. yeah, because then, then the answer is just literally anything, because anything will get you somewhere, and then you you have nowhere you're going. So as long as you're going so somewhere, we like, to, mm-hmm. we like to talk about the biased random walk approach, um, which is the uh, the way that bacteria get to their food source, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the important key f- word there is bias, 
Yeah. Right? Like they are randomly they're less important than bias. Yeah. Yeah. They are just <laughs> randomly moving around. They have a vague sense of whether or not they are closer or further away from their, their goal. Yeah. Right? So on average, um, they get to the goal. Right. But they do they it take in a, a wild, circuitous <laughs> manner. Yeah. They take a wildly inconsistent and roundabout path, but they get there. So that's okay. That's, right? I, think, I feel that's like that's real. everybody's story. Like I feel like whenever you hear when they're when you sit down with the, if you hear like a CEO talking or a product designer or else, like, so how did you get into this? And they always, every person, even if they actually went into product design to start with or whatever else, like that they end, actually ended up doing, I feel like every person always has like a genuinely uh, sort of sporadically winding trail that ends up. Well, you know why, Sam? Hmm. Because the universe is fractal. There, yeah. And, Totally. You know, we're made of we're made of bacteria and cells and stuff, and there's just no reason to think that we're going to behave any differently than the things that we're made of. We'll just be rationalizing you know? it the whole time, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, well, I think that's a good note to leave it on. That's all the time <laughs> we have for this week. <laughs> We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators to keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the past episodes. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.